say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. This is Beyond Confidence with your host, Divya Park. Do you want to live a more fulfilling life? Do you want to live your legacy and achieve your personal, professional, and financial goals? Well, coming up on Divya Park's Beyond Confidence, you will hear real stories of leaders, entrepreneurs, and achievers who have stepped into discomfort, shattered their status quo, and are living the life they want. You will learn how relationships are the key to achieving your aspirations and financial goals. Moving your career or business forward does not have to happen at the expense of your personal or family life, or vice versa. Learn more at www.diviapark.com and you can connect with Divya at contact at diviapark.com. This is Beyond Confidence and now here's your host, Divya Park. Hello listeners, it's Monday evening and this is Divya Park. I'm thrilled to be with you again. And today I have Jeff Tippett with us. Welcome Jeff. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation this evening. Oh, fantastic. So let's find out who Jeff is. So Jeff is known by his audiences and fans as Mr. Persuasion. He is a subject matter expert in persuasive communications. He helps people increase their effectiveness, gives them powerful tools for attaining goals and dreams, and also helps them positively impact their organization. And the key is that he helps people learn how to communicate persuasively with others. And when results mattered most, for example, like brands, Airbnb, the National Restaurant Association, the League of Women Voters, the League of Conservation, they brought in Jeff to develop and implement communication plans to persuade elected officials, the media, and the general public. And Jeff continues to deliver results for influential clients. 
and Jeff has impacted thousands of lives over 500 presentations, including keynotes and seminars. Jeff's highly anticipated second book, Unleashing Your Superpower, Why Why Persuasive Communications is the Only Force You Will Ever Need, is scheduled for completion in late fall 2018. And he has won several awards, including the prestigious American Advertising Awards. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're warm welcome. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. So Jeff, uh, tell us, you know, our stories usually begin from the time when we are children. So do you recall any favorable moments from your childhood? Yes. You know, I have been an entrepreneur since I was a kid. I think I was just born with entrepreneurship in my DNA. I remember as a kid vividly knocking on my neighbor's doors. Uh, I would ride my bikes to their homes, knock on their doors, and I would seek out gigs to mow their yards and in the fall to rake their yards. And then I would hire my friends in the neighborhood to come fulfill those contracts and those uh, gigs for me. So even as a kid, um, I was an entrepreneur. I was wanting to start something. I was trying to find ways to make money, to create revenue. Uh, and it it has continued till today. Mm, I like that. That's fantastic. Mm, so <laughs> then you, what was your favorite entrepreneurship in your childhood? Um, you know, I, I, my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad owned a few companies. Um, and I think I was always intrigued by people that could like branch out on their own, figure out how to get things going, how to develop revenue, how to put the team of people um, around them. And so kind of growing up in you know, somewhat of that environment, um, it was just, again, it was part of who I was. And even you know, going into to work and I was in companies, um, I was the entrepreneur. I was always trying to start something new um, within organizations. I founded a nonprofit and got that up and running and then passed that off. Um, in 2014, I launched Targeted Persuasion, which is a public affairs and communications firm. And you know, admittedly, I, I was going to do political work. I launched in October of an election year, which is in November. I launched at probably one of the worst times you could launch a political consultancy. And um, However, I launched out, and the first week I signed a half dozen clients. And then uh, within the first quarter, I signed my first international client, uh, which was this little company out of California called Airbnb, to do public affairs work for them um, in the state of North Carolina. Um, later, I purchased a speaker's bureau. I repositioned that company, um, re-messaged the company, and then um, exited this past May. So it's just kind of in my DNA, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. Especially, you know, something that becomes part of your DNA, then... It's so easy, right? That you're breathing it, you're living it, and you are doing what you want to do. And of course, that's what life is all about because as you talked about, you know, you have always wanted to be entrepreneur. So what direction did you take in college or in high school that, you know, prepared you for entrepreneurship? Um, absolutely nothing. Um, my, uh, my undergraduate degree is in music and in English, and then I have a graduate degree in English. Um, and at that point, um, I was thinking maybe I'd want to be an English professor. Um, and so um, I, I got, ended up getting married and decided against the, the PhD. Um, and then I worked using my, my um, music degree for quite a while. 
Um, and then I began using my communications um, degree a bit more um, until the point that um, I decided to move only in the communications. And I did marketing, PR, and advertising uh, for a preclinical CRO. So we did early stage drug discovery work. And after doing that, I, I went to briefly, I did some, some work with gated communities, marketing, PR, and advertising. But at that point, um, I had reached that level where I was just ready. I had a dream in me. I wanted to own my own time. I knew I was going to have to work really hard, but I wanted to control my own destiny. Um, and after about a year with that other firm, made the decision to launch out on my own and, and do my own thing. Way to go. And that's always the case, right? If, if you launch out your own thing, there are decisions to be made. There are hurdles and obstacles. So I'm sure just like anybody else, did you face any hurdles as you were starting out on your own? Yeah, you know, I, I did. And I was very fortunate that I, I had a lot of relationships with people who owned a firm. So I could I, I visited probably about a half dozen, uh, maybe maybe eight or so um, people who own firms that were doing something very similar to get some feedback from them. Uh, but also my, my backdoor neighbor was a, a self-made millionaire. Um, he was a CPA and then started buying real estate, acquiring real estate and doing that type work and really set himself up in a, in a nice manner. And we had lots of conversations as I was launching out. And I remember telling him, now personally, I had saved some money. So I was, you know, I, I wasn't going to go down anytime soon. I was prepared financially, but there's still that whole change of mindset when someone's been handing you a check every other week to you have to go make the check. You have to go make the money. And I remember having a conversation with him when he, uh, and I said, look, I, I signed a half dozen clients. And it's like, I said, I, I could see my way through this month. And I can see my way through next month. And he said, Jeff, what will happen is you'll begin to see a path for a week at a time, a month at a time. Then you're going to start thinking quarters at a time. And then you're going to start thinking through years at a time. Um, and he was exactly right. You know, I had to get over the fear, uh, the fear of failure, um, you know, e even the, the fear of being an imposter. I had great track record, but, you know, I was also living off the brands of these other groups where I was working. And so now, it was totally up to me to do this. It was up to my brand, my ability to perform. Um, so I had to you know, overcome a lot, a lot of mental hurdles in, in all of this. But I think that finding those small successes and continuing to find success after success really took me to a place of peace. So like when I bought the Speakers Bureau, I had no anxiety whatsoever. I bought it. I just had fun with it. Had a great time re-messaging it, rebranding it, figuring out how to make it profitable and then rolling it out the door. Mm. That's uh, fantastic. So you mentioned that you know you did PR work, advertising work. So that area is always such a black hole for you know general mass of public and even especially for entrepreneurs because what happens is sometimes for authors or for entrepreneurs who are getting out there and who want to be well known, um, they go, they talk with different publicists and sometimes, you know, they charge three grand a month. Sometimes it's five grand. Sometimes it even goes up to 10 grand a month. So can you give us a little bit of peek inside the PR world and what it is? And then for entrepreneurs, let's first get started with the peak and then we will move to how we can translate that to entrepreneurs. Sure. So, you know, with with clients that, that we work with in the, the PR space, you know, we are looking for earned media most often uh, for those clients, and so we find ways to understand their story, 
craft it in such a way that it'll catch media's attention to sort of roll those stories out there um, on their behalf. And sometimes it includes events, and especially in my case, um, owning a public affairs firm. So in the public affairs space, you know, our take on PR and what we do is we work with elected officials, we work with the media, we work with the general public um, to help move policy prescriptions forward uh, for our clients. So you know, we're trying to create a way to, to get a buzz. Um, I do have a chapter uh, in my new, in my upcoming book, um, Becoming an Industry Expert. And one of the reasons that I included this chapter in my book, um, besides the fact it's like it's like a magical leap to persuasion. If you are the industry expert, it really helps you to move along quickly the persuasion, the persuasion process. But at the same time, another reason that I included it was because I have such a desire, such a passion, especially for entrepreneurs and for business owners to really get themselves out there, right? And to, to get their story out there and to, to become an industry expert. And I, I was on an HR show the other day, and we had this conversation for people that are job seekers, the people who are looking for jobs. You know, one of the best things you can do for yourself is to figure out your specialty, your area, and become the industry expert, the go-to type person in that space. And you turn the equation around. Instead of you chasing people, people began chasing you. I, you mentioned in the intro, I, I was signed by the National Restaurant Association. I ran a statewide campaign. And that happened because they saw me run another campaign, and they knew me as the industry expert in that space. So as a result, I didn't go pitch them. They came to me. So I have a great chapter in the book helping people understand like, how you become an industry expert and how you develop your brand in that and how you figure out how to message and find your target audience um, there. So a lot of people are familiar with Airbnb. Can you share one of the stories, you know, where they were and how you helped them to go where they are right now? Sure. Um, so I worked across the state of North Carolina um, with, with Airbnb, helping at the municipal level, but also helping at the state level. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good that a company like Airbnb does, and then there are people who have some concerns about their presence uh, within um, the community. I um, mean, oftentimes it's around what, what might happen around safety in neighborhoods or uh, valuation of property or, or things of that nature. Um, so what, one of the things that we did was we worked with Airbnb and, and with the state revenue department. You know, we started to under, listen to the concerns. Like, what are people concerned about and how do we address these concerns so that we can find a way that we can all work together uh, in this space? So one of the biggest concerns was that um, often people in the hotel industry felt like the playing field wasn't level because they were having to add on sales tax and hospitality tax on top of the room charge where someone in Airbnb wasn't having to add on those extra fees. And so even if the, the, the cost was apples for apples, it wasn't going to be by the time you added on those additional fees. And so a lot of the hoteliers felt like it, it just wasn't fair, that, that type of situation. So one of the things that we worked through, we understood that concern. And one of the things that we helped work through was working with the Department of Revenue to collect sales tax and then working in some of the counties to begin to collect the hospitality tax and then working with elected officials to roll this information out to the general public as well. So finding a solution, but then again, because we're public affairs, we want to get the story out there. So we did the first press releases and got all the publicity um, around that as well. Mm. So press releases, you know, you talked about 
you did the press release and you got all the attention you want. And then so many times what happens is that people think press releases are dead. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, so I, yes, that some people do think that I, I, I would say that press releases are dead. I would say that there's, you might need to rethink exactly how you use press releases. And we don't always have to use press releases. Like for example, the, the first project that I did for Airbnb was a town hall within the city of Raleigh, which happens to be my hometown, Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, I only went, when I started this out, I was just one day publishing to Twitter and I just put out a tweet and it simply said something like working on a town hall for Airbnb in the city of Raleigh. And within an hour, the, our, the statewide paper reached out to me and said, hey, we saw your tweet. We wanted to interview you. We did an interview that afternoon. It made the online edition that afternoon. And then the next morning, it made the print edition. So that ended up happening you know, through a tweet, just getting a tweet out there. And I don't think that press releases are dead. We, we use them all the time for clients. I think sometimes what, maybe what, where we miss the mark um, is we don't craft a story that captures their attention. Um, we don't show like relevance to their audience. Um, sometimes we make the story all about us or all about our clients instead of the readers and the people that will be consuming the media because that's what that's what they care about. And another thing is sometimes we may put something out during a time when there's a major news breaking in another area and there's just not enough oxygen for a, another story. One of the things that we do like to do and one of the things that makes it easier for people is if you get your press releases out, if you can ride a wave, if there's an existing conversation that's already going do you or do your client have a unique perspective on that story of what's going on? Because they do look for people to quote. So getting something out like in a very timely manner when something is starting to break, is a, if you can show relevancy and you can show that you're the industry expert, that's a great way because they're needing you at that moment. Mm. And that's uh, really a good thing that you mentioned. So you have mentioned about the relevancy of the story. So as far as press release is concerned, a lot of people are skeptical and especially small entrepreneurs because you know if you look at PR web, PR newswire, sometimes they can run from $850 to even up to $1,000. Especially now you have somebody write a pitch for you, somebody do an editing and then formatting and then uh, going to the agency itself to release that. So if you can kind of take a pitch and break it down for our listeners, especially for small entrepreneurs who may not have the access to larger PR web, or they may be going with the smaller press releases as to what would be the best way to write a press release. For example, let's say if somebody's doing a small event, it could be a retreat, or it, it could be a women's retreat, or it could be a women's conference or it could be any conference for that matter, or for that matter, it's an expo. So if you could do that for our um, audience, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first thing that in talking with clients and working with things like this, we always look at is, does anyone care about this story? Why should they care? What about this story is newsworthy? Why would anyone care about the story? Because you can have a, a story and there could be four, five, six different ways of approaching it. And with different audiences, you may approach it differently. So if you are crafting a basic message, you may position it one particular way for Twitter, for example, or for Facebook, 
or if you're sharing it in LinkedIn. But if you're preparing a press release, it, you may be heading in a whole different direction. Another thing that, that we do is instead of just using something like PR Web, where it, you know, it, it just it blasts out and you hope reporters pick it up, you hope that they carry it. There are other softwares, for example, like Cision, where you can pay a monthly fee and subscribe to that. And you can pick reporters that that is their beat. So if it is around something, for example, for women, then you're able to go through and select reporters that write on that particular space. Sometimes we get stuff out to the wrong reporters. So not only do we not craft a message the way it should be, or do we not find something that's relevant in that moment, sometimes it lands on the wrong desk um, as well. So by uh, pulling a list, for example, getting your press release together, making sure the message is lined up, making sure it's like you know what a reporter would be looking for, and understanding like you know they need to sell. This is about them having eyeballs. That, that that's a big driver, you know, for all of this. Figuring out why do they, why should they care, uh, and then you know finding a way to get to reporters. We also uh, follow up, so we would rather have like smaller groups of reporters that we can build relationships with that can keep coming back to us for stories for clients. So if it's an event, for example, you know we'll send the press releases out. Use something like Cision to get the press release out. And then we'll follow up and we'll call. Uh, and the day of the event, you know, we'll call just depending upon like when they're they're huddling around around the stories that they're going to cover for the day. Um, but most times, and oftentimes, where we fail in this is like we know why why it matters and why it matters to us and to our people. But have we found a way to say it in such a way that it matters to their people and to their audience? Mm. So, so now you're talking about very targeted uh, media distribution. So now when we talk about it, then it would be even to the point and extent that, okay, identify who the people are in different outlets. So, for example, in TV, it could be a producer. If it was a News and Observer, which is a listeners and it's one of the local newspapers, so finding a person who does story on that interest. That's right. Am I understanding it correctly? That's right. You're going to want to match the story with the person who covers that beat. So that that ne there needs to be um, the congruity with that. So like, like sending a story about a women's event to a sports reporter is not going to be of any value whatsoever. In fact, it could be detrimental because they'll look at it and think, you don't even know what you're doing. Why would you be sending a story like this to me? So making sure that it's a reporter who is covering um, that type of story. Mm -hmm. No, that definitely makes sense, Jeff. You also mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned that you follow up and you mentioned that, you know, you call them. So let's say if somebody is releasing, let's just kind of take an example. Somebody, um, there is one of the events uh, that I'm sponsoring is that's coming up. What's happening is it's a women's event and now it's a, it's a women's entrepreneurs event. So now in that case, let's say if you send out a press release that, hey, this is happening, so would it be there is there like a unsaid etiquette or is there a way like you know we know that you know we are not supposed to bother the journalists because we are in the process of building those meaningful relationships so would it be okay after you have sent them this newsworthy story that i mean you have done the best would it be okay to call them or how would you go about for the follow-up yeah, absolutely. So uh, you, you brought up a very good word, and, that, and that's the word relationship. So we encourage people, 
um, to, to make sure that they find ways to connect with reporters before you actually need the reporters. Mm-hmm. Figure out how you build the relationship. For, for reporters, one of the best ways you can do that is on Twitter. Um, re- journalists love Twitter. Uh, the political space is great for Twitter. Journalism is great for for reporters. So like using something like Cision, building a list of reporters, often the software will tell you like their Twitter handle and so forth. And you know, maybe their Facebook page as well. They have like a fan page or something like that. And build a relationship over time. And what that looks like is you know not freaking them out by like throwing too much at them all at once. But you know, maybe something just like liking something that they posted or maybe offering a smart comment on something that they've posted. Or if it fits your audience, retweeting them and sharing that with with your audience as well. Those are things that you can do. Those are very gentle touches, like feather touches, that you can do to help build the relationship with the reporters. And you know that's what I do. And then they'll end up reaching out and they're working on like an undercover story, and they'll want to know, do I have any information on X? Another thing I try to do too is like as much as possible. When they do finally reach out to me, where things start clicking, is to be extremely responsive. Um, you know, make sure that I make myself available, that I answer the phone, that if they need me at X location, that I'm there. If they just need some research or they just want some some help with something, that I'm always there to help them. So I do think it's helpful if you build a relationship and you help them before you ask for help from them. See, that's the key. It's uh, help them and let them know that you know you are in there for the long haul and it's just not there to take advantage and it's about again building that no like trust factor so that definitely makes perfect sense jeff and we have got a couple of questions from our audience the first question is how do we know if it is newsworthy how do we know if it's newsworthy mm-hmm. um so one of the things that, that we often do is we'll talk to people outside the industry and we'll share some different angles for the story um, and make sure I, I hear what other people say about it as well. But you have to be able to look inside and say, does anyone, anyone care? And oftentimes we have to put our, especially if we're not, if it's our event, we know why it matters and we know why it's really important. But the, the reasons that's important to us may not be important to the general public. So being willing to set some of our feelings aside and our thoughts about it and really go back to them. What are they after? They're after a story that's going to be relevant to their audience and that people are going to like it and they're going to enjoy consuming um, that material. So sometimes, for example, if it's a women's event, you know, maybe instead of just promoting, maybe instead of, hey, we're having this event, it's going to be on April 4th, whatever you know, the dates are, maybe the angle is more about what you're going to do for women, what's going to accomplish for women entrepreneurs. And then maybe it's a reporter who cares about that and, and, and in that space. And what is unique? And what is different about your event? You have to stand out. You know, they get hundreds of these these press releases. You know, we do call, and especially if it's an event we want them to show up that day, we call in advance of when they huddle um, to make sure that our name is back out there and that, that we're top of mind um, for them. And um, but again, you've got to separate yourself from the event and look at outsiders, people who are unfamiliar with your organization. People who are unfamiliar with what you're doing, why would they care? Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply about that event. And you've got to figure out what's, what, why do they matter? What does it matter to them? What's different? Why would they care? Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's because, you know, as you mentioned, they got to sell their stories, whether it's a newspaper, whether it's online, offline, or whether it's a radio show or whether it's a TV show. So that makes perfect sense. Now, one of the other questions that has come from our audience is, can anyone report on any type of thing? So basically, I think so. What their question is coming from the place when you mentioned that if you're an entrepreneur or if you are somebody <clears throat> who's uh, holding an event mm -hmm. and reaching out to the reporter and sharing the story from a unique perspective. So I think so. That's where the question is coming from. Yes, you, you can. But I will say this one of the things that they will likely do if they don't know you. Uh, they're going to go to your Facebook page. They're going to go to your LinkedIn profile, and they're going to see. They're going to look to see is if you know this space, if you are a subject matter expert in this place, are you credible um, as well? What have you been tweeting about for the last few days? What have you been posting on LinkedIn? So they will do research um, on you to make sure that you're a person that they can trust. Because you got remember too, like they're brand sharing with you when this starts to happen, and they're lending their credibility um, to you. So they, they will do some background. They'll, they'll take a look at it and make sure. Which is another reason why it's extremely important to build this relationship earlier. Like build it before you need um, the reporter, so they'll trust you more. But if you're reporting, for example, on a, on a women's event, you'd want to be able to show some type of relevance as to why you know about this space and, and why you're the, the the right person to be telling the story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that goes a long way. And then the next question is, how do you know if the reporters are using the info you have passed on to them? Um, so groups or software like Cision um, will, will help you pull reports. So they, it'll go through and it'll check uh, and pull reports for you when the story's been covered. Um, for entrepreneurs, I, I will say this, like one way to do it that's free, won't cost anything, is um, you know, using your name, um, setting up Google Alerts on your name, or if you're doing a conference, as you've just mentioned, like with the name of the conference, and setting up some Google Alerts 
uh, will give you, not precise, but it will give you a rough uh, feel for what has been picked up um, and, and what people are, which people are telling the stories so you can get those clippings. Now, that's a great suggestion. So how would somebody go about, let's say, you know, there's so many people who may be X-Gen and they don't know how to set up Google Alerts. Uh, is it just like, you know, my guess is you can Google it up? That's right. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's extremely simple. I mean, all you have to do is go to Google, just Google Google Alerts, um, and then type in the keywords that you're looking for. And it could be your name. And I encourage, actually, all entrepreneurs, all the time, no matter what, set up Google Alerts on your name. You never know when something could happen and someone could publish something around your name. So I think everyone should have Google Alerts set up on their name. If you are also promoting an event or something, uh, whatever the conference name is or something like that, I would add in, even if you keep it for temporary basis, I would add it in. And, and you can set Google Alerts if you want to receive it once a day, if you want to receive it a summary or if you want it as it comes out. It's free. Um, but yeah, that's the best way, especially your name. All entrepreneurs should have Google Alerts set up on their name. And that's a really great tip because especially for entrepreneurs, you know, with the advance in technology, it is so overwhelming. You go, you get, you know, there's something out there, right? Now let's just kind of talk about the CRM system, which is customer relationship management system, automated emails. So what was working three years back, you go in there, you sink in a bunch of money and you get to learn that system and you set it up and then lo and behold, two years <laughs> down the road, <laughs> there is something new. So having these kind of tools which are free or uh, to low price tools really helps entrepreneurs. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And now what would be a good way to follow these journalists like you know how that okay so now if you are in a business i'm just thinking from terms of an entrepreneur an entrepreneur who's starting out let's an entrepreneur who is a health coach we're just going to take a few examples so our audience gets the benefit of different industries and different niches so how would they go about finding those reporters and which places to contact Sure, great question. So, uh, a software service like Cision would be one that you could like put the beat in there that you're that you're looking for, um, and it would pull instant reports for you. Um, and oftentimes, it will tell you like their Twitter handle and their Facebook and their LinkedIn profile um, as well. Um, the other way, the cheap way, um, is that will work. It's, it's not as precise. It's just it's googling by the industry um, and the type of media that you're looking for and the geographic region region that you're looking for, and the word reporter in there. And it'll begin to pull up lists for you that way as well. It's not as precise, it's not as fast as something like Cision, um, but it will give you the, the basics there. And, and I would encourage uh, like entrepreneurs, before they reach out and do any of this, any of this reaching out, you know, it's because we talked about like the, the reporter social media is to make sure that your social media is where it's supposed to be as well. So for example, in the health coach, if you're a health coach and that's your, your, that's your specialist, that's what you excel in, then like the bio needs to say that and what's going on. Your posts need to reflect that as well. So your personal branding 
need to make sure that aligns. So when that because re that reporter's probably going to only give it a few seconds. They're going to see something. They're going to check you out. They're going to be like, it's either yes or no. Like they match or they don't match, and then they're gone. So making sure that all of that aligns and that the brand is consistent, that the messaging is consistent, and if it's if it's healthcare, that if you're a coach or whatever that happens to be, that it all aligns. Hmm. Mm, that is definitely the right thing to say is have that consistent message first on your social media before you go start reaching out because it's again positioning yourself as an expert, positioning yourself as the authority, positioning yourself as the industry leader because that's one of the things, Jeff, you mentioned that what reporters are going to go, especially if you don't, if you haven't had the time to build a relationship with them and now if you're approaching them, they're going to go out there and Google you up or seek you out or check you out on different social media. And now if they find that your message is about one thing on one media, about another on another thing, then they're going to probably say, oh, you know, this person does not know what they're talking about and may not mention. So that was an excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, sometimes, like for us, we know our story. We know our message. And sometimes when we go a little off and post something a little different, we don't see uh, the danger in that. But for others, like, it, it takes such consistency uh, for to have brand cohesion and for people to really understand what it is and what you do. I mean, you're going to have to tell them six to seven times before they really catch on and they really understand what's going on. And when you slip something you know, off the wall in the middle of that or you – you know, engage in some type of political fight on Twitter, it's going to throw people off. So you've got to make sure that it's just, it is very consistent and that you stay true to the brand with your imagery, with your language, with, with all this there, because they are going to go scroll through that. And that is your brand. And that is your credibility. Mm -hmm. Now you said it. So as we talk about, we talked about Airbnb, I want to come back to your personal story as well, because when we talked, Jeff, you know, you did talk about a beautiful story about you going to Haiti at the time of civil unrest and you adopted a baby from there. So can you share that story with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. This is this is the pulse of my life and this is the pulse of my message and the, the, the pulse of, of who I am um, as a person. I learned in amazing skills in persuasive communications through doing an international adoption. I will be honest and say that I had not sought to adopt a baby. It had not been a dream of mine. It had not been a lifelong goal of mine. Uh, my father went over to Haiti to do some humanitarian relief. And while he was there, the person who was his translator was a ninth grader who attended uh, an English-speaking American Christian school uh, in Haiti. And for people of Haiti to be in an English-speaking school was extremely important to them to have some hope in the future of life. So learning to speak English, being in school, and, and having the, the financial support to do that was extremely important um, and to her. She did end up, in, as a ninth grader, getting pregnant and um, had the baby, and the school there gave her an option. And they said, you can either um, stay in school but if you do, you're going to have to give up your baby or we're kicking you out of school. So mm. she made the gut-wrenching decision that she would give up her new baby. And so my father came and came back to the States and 
um, asked me to go to dinner so he could tell me a little bit about his trip. And I wish I could say that I went to meet him because I was so excited about the story of this trip. But he wanted to go meet at a, one of my favorite restaurants. And so I was like, yeah, let's go. I was, I was thinking menu. And he started telling me the story. And I remember him like pulling out the photos. And these weren't on this phone. These were like hard print photos. Pulling out a photo and showing me the picture of this baby. And there was something about it. When I looked into her eyes, I just instantly knew that this was my destiny. I knew that I was supposed to adopt this baby. I knew nothing of adoption. I knew nothing about Haiti. At that point, I didn't even know about the corruption that was going on. I didn't know about the unrest that was happening. During that period, President, government, President Aristide's government was collapsing. It was failing. Um, but within the first 30 days, I booked a flight to go to Haiti to meet her. I took her clothes. I took the family money. I, I brought food over uh, as well to meet her and spend about a week with her. Um, and at that point, I really had my why as to why I had to do this and why I had to get it done. And like true to any entrepreneur, there's like ups and downs. And um, there were times when I would just throw my hands up and I was so upset. I was so discouraged just feeling like I couldn't do it, like I couldn't make this happen, that it just wasn't going to work uh, for me. And I would get tired. But there was something about going to bed and then just getting up the next morning and the sun coming up and feeling refreshed and pulling back into that inner why, the inner why of, of why I was doing this that would pick me back up and, and you know, make me, uh, give me the strength and desire to get back out there. There was at one point when... One of the offices that I needed to sign something in Haiti was closed. And so um, no one was showing. My attorney emailed me from Haiti. He's like, Jeff, I think your adoption's over. I don't think we can make this happen. This closed. We don't know that it'll ever be open again. We don't know what's going to happen here. And I was like, you know, no problem. I'm going to be there. So I purchased a flight. Um, a couple of days I was there. And here was the method to my madness. What I did every single day was I would get up, I would go to that office, I would sit outside the door, and I would sit there all day long, and then I would go back to my attorney's house for the night. And I continued this on for about two weeks until finally someone showed up at the office. And I started telling him the story. And this is one of the first chances that I really understood like the difference between manipulation and persuasion and started trying to understand exactly what persuasion is. And I remember telling him the story of me and my life and adopting this baby, and he was not phased by it whatsoever. And I began to like hone the story, and I you know, had been there for long enough to understand how much they value their children, and I started changing the story then, and I started putting the story around her and how she was sick, because I knew that Haitians loved their children. They were so proud of the children. Children were very valuable to Haitians. I started talking about how sick she was. And how I had medical help ready for her in the United States to help take care of her. And I walked out after that with the papers signed. And it was able to persuade and to move this person forward and got that taken care of, got it signed. But it was like that. Like every other week, something major would come up. And I learned a lot. I learned about a lot about myself, about intestinal fortitude, and about not giving up, and about understanding the why in us that makes us get up and move on the very next day. Mm. And uh, were you able to bring baby home 
soon so, enough so that she could get her medical treatment? Well, it was, I, I did it. You know how these things are. When you're in the middle of it, it seems like it's taking forever. Um, but like the big picture, I did it in six and a half months, which was amazing to do an international adoption that quickly. Um, and at the very end, the last thing that happened before I could get out of the country, um, I finished the adoption. The U.S. side was finished. The Haitian side was finished. I was holding her. I had all the paperwork, and I go to get her visa to get out of the country And the U.S. government denied the visa, and they were mm. requiring a blood DNA test from her, which mm. in Haiti was going to take six to eight weeks, which was oh. just too long. It, it, it wasn't going to work. So we called back to the States and worked with the person um, that was one of my senators at the time and persuaded him and his office as to what was going on. And they were very gracious. They were very helpful um, to me. And through that, The next day, I went back to the embassy. I got my paperwork taken care of, got it all knocked out, all finished. Um, I went straight to the airport, was able to purchase a ticket and and get out of there. And you know, one of the greatest experiences for me was as I finally you know, got back to the states. I landed in Miami first, and I'm standing there in the airport holding her. And at, at that point, um, you know, she's whimpering. She had been screaming on the flight. Turns out she had double ear infection. She had different oh, viruses no. that were affecting her body. So. You know, we didn't know what was happening at the time, but you know, looking back, it was the pressure of the cabin was just killing her ears. And so I'm standing in the, in the airport there in Miami, and I'm holding her, and she's just whimpering. And for a while, I do feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel proud that I worked through this. I, I got it all done. But it was pretty quickly after that 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 just all flew out the window. And I looked down at her, and I began to wonder what her life is going to be. Would she be a doctor and heal people? <laughs> would she be a humanitarian and go relieve suffering? Or would she be a teacher and impact hundreds of lives that would then impact thousands of other lives? Would she be a nurse? Would she go back to Haiti? And while I couldn't answer any of those questions, what I did learn and what I did know at that moment was this adoption wasn't over. It was just the first flap of the butterfly wing in the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect tells us that it's the single flap of a butterfly wing that over time and over space eventually leads to a massive, powerful hurricane. And so this was just the beginning. There were lives that were going to be touched well beyond me, well beyond my life, people that I would never even meet myself. The ripple effect of how this would continue to go on. And especially for entrepreneurs, I know it gets exhausting I know it gets tiring. And sometimes when we focus on the transactions of making everything happen every single day, it's very easy to get worn out. It's very easy to get exhausted. But what I like to encourage people is to think a little bit bigger in this and to realize that the things that we're doing is impacting lives. And as an entrepreneur, you, know, you might start a company and you may the, the flap, your flap of the butterfly wing may be generating enough money to hire someone. And we don't know what that means to that family. Maybe that means that family can send their daughter to dance. Or maybe they can send their son to get tutoring and change his life. We don't know where all this is leading. But I do know this, that our work is much bigger than the individual things that we are doing every single day. And if we will look up and be encouraged that this is going to impact lives well beyond us, it'll give us the inspiration It'll give us the motivation to get back up tomorrow and go do the things that we know we need to do. 
Mm-hmm. So, circling back, how old is she? What's the name? If you can share, and like uh, you know, where is she in her life journey? Oh, absolutely. So she is now fifteen. Um, her name is Nina, and um, she is just impressive. She runs track. She is a dancer. Uh, this <laughs> summer, nice. she determined that she wanted to get a part-time job, and she went online, filled out applications all by herself. She set up interviews all by herself. <laughs> I drove her to the interviews. She got hired. And not one of the things that I've discussed with, with my kids is, is making sure that at a very young age, they understand the value of saving money and making sure that they are strong and are financially independent um, in and of themselves. And she has done an amazing job building up her savings account. Now her dream is a car. So we're working on some plans around the car for her as well. And now she's saving for college um, as well. And she's an amazing ball of joy. It's, it's interesting to me to see like tough things that may come at her, tough things that hit her, and she'll take a moment to process it, and somehow she's got like Teflon, and she starts to see the good in it. She starts to see what could, how things could be turned around, and she's just so full of joy. Oh, that's amazing. And think about, you know, how you brought her here, and she has turned into this beautiful butterfly who will be impacting not only you, you know, because children have a way to impact the parents. Such a joy to have. And she'll be impacting many others also. So talking about coming back to our audience, you know, if you were to give two to three tips that they can walk away with and go and implement in their lives to achieve their dreams. And as you mentioned about the butterfly effect, be part of something that's bigger than them, knowing that they can go and impact people's lives, enrich people's lives and make a difference. What would they be? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I have a, a chapter in my new book. Um, it's called Help Others Find Their Win So You Win. And I start the chapter with a quote from Zig Ziglar who says that you will get everything in life that you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And sometimes we take that and we actually turn it into a little bit of manipulation where we just focus on what we want and we actually use people to get that. But if there's anything that... I can leave to encourage people to think through is check your heart. Look inside of your heart. Do you really care about other people? Because here's what I know. You know. Our needs, we all have gaps. We all have needs in our life. They typically fall into health, wealth, or relationships. Those are our three main buckets of, of, of issues and things that we have in our life. And that's what we do as entrepreneurs. We provide solutions to that. And sometimes we're like really focused on our own business, our own dream, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to have that. We need to have that focus. But one of the things I encourage people to do in this in this particular chapter is to really take your mind off yourself. Really care about other people and find ways that you can help other people. And, and how do we do that? First of all, the first thing that I encourage people to do is listen. We all have a lot to say. I admit it. I talk a lot as well. But as we're <laughs> dealing with clients, the people that we're working with, just listen, pause, ask questions there, listen to what, what people are, are saying there, and, and listen to learn, not to just respond, right? Listen to learn, listen to evaluate critically, you know, what they're saying, what they're saying there, and listen, you know, with a therapeutic manner or an empathetic, like trying to understand you know, what it is they're going through, Let listen to them, just let them get it all, and then begin to ask them questions, right? We've heard them say something, 
But sometimes what we hear people say is really not what they're saying at all and began to ask questions you know, of them. And then what you'll end up finding then is the third part of that is this place of alignment. And that's where the service or whatever you provide, the understanding of what it is they need and that alignment, that Venn diagram there in the very center um, is understanding what it is they need. And that's the magic place there where you can begin to solve their needs, fix the problems that they have, show you care, show that you are invested in what they're doing. And as a byproduct, you know, the checks will come. I do the same thing. I speak professionally. I'm on stage about half the time, and I'm with clients about half the time. And when I walk on that stage, I can tell you honestly from my heart, the check that I get paid is not top of my mind. What's on top of my mind is the content that I can bring to people in these audiences that will change their lives. For example, I recently spoke at the North Carolina Nurses Association, and a nurse from Duke University Hospital came to me, and she said, Jeff, I listened to your story. I listened to your message. Uh, about persuasive communication, and I, it does help me as a nurse dealing with bedside manner, but Jeff, she's, I'm a musician, and I'm getting ready to release my first CD. So one ear I was listening to it like from my nurse's standpoint, but the other ear I was listening to it um, as a musician getting ready to launch my first CD. And I look at her, and I'm thinking, wow, this is an emerging entrepreneur. Definitely. Tell me more about your story. Tell me what's going on. Yep. Hey, what, what do you mm-hmm. want me to do? How mm-hmm. can I help you? And at that point, like I'd already been paid. It didn't even matter. But we stood out there by her car for 30 minutes talking Oh, that's about fantastic, her. Jeff. And uh, if you can share your contact information with our audience, that'll be great because we're nearing at the end of the show. So Absolutely. They're welcome to reach out on my website, which is jefftippett.com, J-E-F-F-T-I-P-P-E-T-T.com. And if you don't remember it, if you get anywhere close to it, I've got like all misspellings are in Google Ads. So it'll pull up an ad for me. But another way is to text the word persuade to 66866. Persuade to 66866. Not only will you connect with me, you'll also get a free chapter from my new book um, immediately to your device. Well, thank you, Jeff, for joining us. Greatly appreciate it. And folks, thank you for sharing your comments that you enjoyed the show. We love you because you make the show interesting. Thank you, Jeff, again. And if you want to reach out, Reach out and connect with Jeff and thank you, Rebel, for making the show possible. Until next time, be brilliant and take care. Thank you for being part of Beyond Confidence with your host, Divya Park. We hope you have learned more about how to start living the life you want. Each week on Beyond Confidence, you hear stories of real people who have experienced growth by overcoming their fears and building meaningful relationships. During Beyond Confidence, Divya Park shares what happened to her when she stepped out of her comfort zone to work directly with people across the globe. She not only coaches people how to form heart connections, but also transform relationships to mutually beneficial partnerships as they strive to live the life they want. If you are ready to live the life you want and leverage your strengths, learn more at www.diviapark.com. And you can connect with Divya at contact at diviapark.com. We look forward to you joining us next week, Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 